Our scripture readings this morning will come first from Psalms 24, 7 through 10, and then from Matthew. So again, Psalms 24, verses 7 through 10, if you want to follow along. Lift up your heads, O you gates be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. And then from Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her side. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Walk this way. I have to admit, I like the old song, uh, Aerosmith, uh, even better, Run DMC, joining them in video. Couldn't believe it when I first saw it. Yes, I'm that old. But that's not what we're talking about here. Walk this way. Walking is used eight times in the book of Ephesians. Eight times in the original language, seven times in most English translations. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we saw chapter 4, verse 1, walk in a manner worthy of your calling in Christ. And then today, we've got three of these ways to walk, three characteristics of the worthy walk. Walk in love, walk in the light, and walk in wisdom. It lays out very neatly for us. So, So let's go ahead and read the Word of God. We're going through Ephesians at a rapid clip, half a chapter a week. Here's the first half of Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But... Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness 
must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become uh, partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we call this prayer uh, the prayer of illumination, and this passage talks about light, uh, being light, walking as children of light. And we know, Jesus, that you are the light of the world, and uh, your light has shone forth in our hearts, and we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit uh, that he will lead and guide us into all of your truth. For we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Some good reasons to um, imitate God. John, would you do me a favor? Would you go in my office, that door, that door? My tan, soft cover Bible is sitting right there. It might be helpful to me this hour. All right, so why do we uh, imitate God? Be imitators of him. Imitators, uh, the word in the original language gives us our word where we get uh, mimic, um, mime. I don't know if you all ever go to SeaWorld. We're we're not real big fans of the mouse. Thank you, sir. Um, We like going to SeaWorld when we get down there. We used to live there. And uh, there's a mime at the... uh, sea lion and walrus show his name is tom he was there for a long long time and then he was gone for a while and we just were there in december and tom is back he's a great mime 
but that's the word mime, mimic, or some of y'all who are educators or were educators way back in the day. Mimeograph, remember that one? Mimeograph, ka-chung, ka-chung, ka-chung. You remember that one? Imitation, uh, making, a, making a copy, because I, I put because imitation is the highest form of flattery. Eh, that's not very good. There are two better reasons that flow right out of the passage. It's because we are loved. We imitate God because we are beloved children. So, so two reasons for our imitation. We're loved. We're, we're beloved by the Lord. And second, because we're children. We're adopted children, sons and daughters of God Most High. If he has had mercy on you and been pleased to reveal his son uh, in and to you, then you belong to the family of God. That's why we walk with him and we imitate the Lord. And we walk first in love. Walk in love, walk in the light, walk in wisdom. It it unfolds neatly for us. I wish we had three Sundays on this, but here we go. Um, We are loved. We're loved so much by the Lord that Christ gave himself up for us as a sacrifice and an offering. This was well-pleasing in God's sight. Uh, it's mentioned here as being fragrant in the passage. And when I think about the sacrifice of Christ, um, when I came to know the Lord, I was biblically illiterate. I didn't know famous Bible stories. I didn't know how to look up a verse. I didn't know how to look up anything. And I did what I guess lots of people do. You begin at the beginning, Genesis. And Genesis by itself is a big book, and I don't know how f- far I got in my first reading but I, I think I made it into Leviticus, and it starts talking about slaughtering animals. And I'm a baby Christian, a brand new believer, and I sort of didn't get it. Uh, thank goodness for Hebrews 9 and 10 in particular. In fact, I would put it to you as we focus on the sacrifice of Christ this week, that that would be an excellent exercise for you. It would be just to read those two chapters several times. Hebrews chapters 9 and 10. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 10, let me just read a paragraph to give you the flavor about the sacrifice of Christ. Verses 11 to 14 say this in Hebrews 10, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It it, it emphasizes repeatedly the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ. And again, hearkening back to my early days as a believer, when I'm reading about blood of bulls and goats, it was very difficult for me to understand, I mean, I started going to church, but I, I just didn't get it. Then I found Hebrews 9 and 10. Oh, bingo, we've got New Testament elaborations on this Old Testament teaching, and it makes perfect sense if you read it in that light. So, we walk with the Lord, we imitate Him, because Christ loved us so much that He gave Himself up, the one sacrifice for all time, to forgive our sins. Uh, you know, in terms of imitation. Elsewhere, Paul says, be imitators of me, even as I am of Christ. So it's not that we put others up on a pedestal, but we need good role models in our lives. Um, 
when I first came to know Christ, the fellow that led me to know Jesus was only one year older than me. I was a college freshman. He was only a sophomore, but he'd known Jesus since he was 10 years old. His name is Ralph. He's a missionary in France right now. He served all over the, all over the world. But uh, Ralph did what I thought had formerly been impossible. He united fun and Christian in the same person. Uh, Ralph seemed to know everybody on campus. He, he uh, played intramural sports, so I began playing intramural sports. He, he refereed intramural sports as a job. It seemed like all the girls on campus knew him. He was just a lot of fun to be around. Very positive role model and influence on me. And then a staff guy with a campus ministry, his name was Charlie. And uh, Charlie was married, and then I, over the years I saw him, uh, the Lord added to his family, and I respected him as a godly man, a godly father. I'd never been around that before, and I loved watching his parenting style, and uh, just, just a fellow with a great heart for the Lord. He's still in, in ministry today. So Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's in 1 Corinthians 11, and then in 1 Thessalonians 1, he says to them, the church at Thessalonica, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, uh, so much so that these believers became examples to others in, in other places. So do you have people like that in your life? You know, we want to Im- imitate God, we want to imitate the Lord ultimately, but we need people in our lives that we can get to know who follow Jesus and we learn from their strengths. We also recognize that they too have feet of clay and they're, they're foibles. Um, my father in the faith, Ralph, you know, he, he wasn't perfect, but uh, he loved me and taught me how to read the Bible, how to find my way around the scriptures, how to share the faith, how to pray. Uh, we need people like that in our lives. Uh, in terms of walking in love and loving each other, We need to be self-sacrificing like Christ was and not self-indulgent. Sinclair Ferguson has this to say about loving others. He says it's not an optional extra in the Christian life, but a requirement. It does not depend on the whims of our emotions, says Ferguson, but on understanding God's word, on the commitment of our will and the devotion of our heart. It is a deliberate obedience not an inexplicable urge that overtakes us. So in other words, loving others isn't just affection and emotion, it's action. And Christ's compassion caused him to take action. And as we walk in love, that should be true for us too. It includes being careful with our speech, our words. We saw that uh, last time in Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. I told you as a brand new believer on campus there for a while, I thought I'd just better not speak if my words were those that needed to give grace. That's Ephesians 4.29. Uh, we, but we have to learn how to edify, how to build others up with our speech. And here in verse 4, we read about filthiness, foolish talk, or, and crude joking. I don't know where I came upon this little poem, but uh, I did years ago, about the power of our words. The power of our words, the power of the tongue is worth a whole sermon. James 3 devotes much attention to it. The Proverbs talk a lot about our tongues, but get this. A careless word may kindle strife, 
A cruel word may wreck a life. A bitter word may hate and still. A brutal word may smite and kill. A gracious word may smooth the way. A joyous word may light the day. A timely word may lessen stress. A loving word may heal and bless. Walk in love. That includes being careful with our speech. We walk in light. We walk in the light. It's interesting, this passage says not only that people who don't know Christ used to do deeds of darkness, but that we actually once were darkness. And now we have become light in Christ, and so we walk as children of light. Um, We should have no partnership with the unfruitful deeds of darkness. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. But instead, we bear good fruit in our lives. It says right here in the passage in verse 9, that which is good and right and true. You know, we need light to bear fruit. You know, it's springtime. Hasn't really started blooming that much out there yet. I was at a lady's house yesterday and just saw the crocuses on her porch. Uh, well, they weren't actually on the porch. They were off the porch in the soil. But... but um, the crocuses were just starting to poke their heads through the dirt. Why? Because of, partly because of the influence of the light, the sun. Plants need light to bear fruit. And that's true for us as well. We must walk in the light. That which is good and right and true sounds like the famous verses, Philippians 4, 8, uh, Romans 12, 2, say similar things. Uh, One of the ways that I've come to understand it over the years is the difference between moths and roaches. Uh, You know, moths are inexorably drawn to the light, right? They're attracted to candlelight or, you know, I I don't know if y'all get bugs up here. It's so so cold up here, but down south we have plenty of bugs. (laughs) Down south we have plenty of bugs, and, and, you know, during the, the warmer months, I can't even turn on my porch lights. I just turn on the garage lights out in the front of our house. Because the bugs just swarm to the light. So you open your front door and there's just bugs everywhere. But moths are like that. They're drawn to the light. What do roaches do instead when you flick the lights on? Maybe y'all don't have roaches up here. Hey, there's none in the church house. I'll give that report. Um, But roaches, they scatter. They run for the darkness. They they flee from the light. I ask you today, are, are you like a roach or are you like a moth are you drawn to the light the light that is Christ I was sharing the faith one time in Daytona Beach Florida uh, summer beach missions project as a college student many years ago I was with a girl named Leslie and we were sharing the faith with this uh, gal or what was her name I can't remember but we were, we were talking with her about knowing the Lord and Daytona Beach uh, at that time and last I knew had a large street kid population, it's warm, and there's a boardwalk, and kids would go, and they would live there in skateboard and stuff, and so we were sharing the faith with this, this girl, and um, we were talking with her about Jesus, and she seemed very interested, and a fella walked up, a very muscular young man walked up, and his name was John, I remember that, and he walked up, and she introduced us, me and Leslie, and said, this, these are my new friends, Tom and Leslie, this is John. He just goes, hey. And I uh, thought, well, that went well. And uh, 
And then he started, he started talking to her. He started saying, come on, come on, let's go. She's like, no, I'm talking with them. This is interesting what they're telling me about Jesus. I, I want to know more. And he's going, no, come on, come on. And then he, he, he grabbed her arm. And I thought, oh, boy, here we go. He's really big and strong, and I'm a little stouter than I used to be. But uh, I was a skinny college kid, and I thought, oh, boy, this isn't going to go well for me. Please, Lord, when he hits me back, just let it not be in the face. <laughs> um, and all of a sudden, Leslie says to John, John, you know, in John chapter 3, it says, men cling to the dark rather than the light because their deeds are evil. And a vein popped out in John's neck. And I thought, oh boy, here it comes. He's not going to hit her, he's going to hit me. And uh, he just spun on his heel and walked away. And that gal went on and placed her faith in Christ uh, that very night. Walk in the light. Uh, when it says in verse 14, it's got, and depending, well, I, I set it out for us a little bit there. Therefore, it says. There's not one verse from the Old Testament here uh, that's being cited. It could have been an early Christian hymn. It could be referring to a couple of verses uh, from Isaiah. Uh, chapter 26 and 60. But the idea is that Christ is the light of the world. And we need to awake and to arise. And that's what, uh, you know, we probably have some uh, wives elbowing their husbands in the pew saying that very thing this morning. Walk in love. Walk in the light. And we also have to recognize that our evil deeds are exposed by the light. It says it twice, verses 11 and 13. And I always keep in mind, Hebrews 4.12 talks about Scripture, but Hebrews 4.13 talks about the fact that all things are laid open and bare before him with whom we have to do. There are no secret sins. The Lord sees it all. And so we should walk in that which is good and right and true as children of light. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We walk in love, we walk in the light, and then we walk in wisdom. Verse 15, we walk in wisdom. Be careful. Walk circumspectly. And this idea of walking in the book of Ephesians, walk, of course, means to, to go about or to conduct your life. Walk in wisdom. Verse 16 tells us, make the most of the time. And I would say to you that this is about a whole lot more than time management. You can be a good, do well at time management. You don't necessarily need Jesus, right? You can have a, a day timer, that's really old. Or you can use a, a Google Calendar on your phone or whatever you do. You can manage your time. You can learn to budget your time. And you don't necessarily need the power of God for that. The, the word here for making most of our time in the original language means buying up for one's use. The idea is taking every opportunity. Um, I was reading an article in Smithsonian last week about a particular period of English history. And uh, I was taken with a phrase, a turn of phrase that the writer used in talking about that. 
period of history. He called it a 250-year moment. You need to think about that in light of eternity, that 250 years is, is but a moment. And so we need to make sure that the 70 or if due to strength, 80 years that are promised to us by the Lord through Moses in Psalm 90, um, that we are making the most of our time and we are walking in wisdom. Well, let's move on to some of our takeaways this morning. Letter B in your outline, we're using this rubric of head, heart, hand. Really, I think that when the Bible talks about our hearts, loving God with our whole heart, it means our whole person, everything we've got, everything that we are. But this is a little helpful way to conceive of what the scriptures call on our lives are, I think, to know, to be, and to do. Uh, To know, discern, verse 10, discern what is pleasing to the Lord. To discern means to try to learn. Hebrews 5 speaks of those who have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And how does that happen? By constant practice. It's by constant practice in the scriptures. Uh, In 1 John chapter 4, it exhorts us similarly to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. You know, I really appreciated the uh, prayer of confession uh, in the bulletin today. And to be honest, I don't know who's responsible for supplying that. Gary, if that's you or, or, or what, I really appreciated that uh, very much. And it, it talks about our affections and, and those whom we serve and the different masters that vie or compete for our affections. And I thought that was really good. And so in the world today, when we have so many voices shouting at us, you know, advertising's been around for a long time. You need this product, buy this product, and girls will like you. Buy this product, and your life will be better. You know, uh, there's advertising. Um, The world's kind of gone off the rails in terms of calling evil good and good evil. And so we need to think soberly. We need to walk circumspectly. We need to walk in wisdom and have our senses trained by constant practice in God's word to discern good and evil. And what is well-pleasing to the Lord, what's fully agreeable to him. And be sure, your first bullet point under head to know, discern what is pleasing to the Lord, be sure that there is no place in the kingdom for improper conduct. Three more eyes. Immorality, verses 3 and 5. Impurity, 3 and 5. Or idolatry, again, verse 5. And speaking of idolatry, and again, the, how marvelous this prayer is that we utilize in the prayer of confession. It talks about we might not pray to statues of stone or wood. That's what a lot of times, you know, we civilized people, we modern or postmodern or whatever we are, people we think, oh, you know, we're not, we're not primitive. We don't worship idols. We don't bow down to totem poles or stone or wood or statues or, or things, make use of relics or things like that. Um, but the prayer goes on to say, but we nonetheless seek after the things of this world rather than you. An idol is anything that you love more than Jesus. And it doesn't have to be in a statue made of wood or stone. It doesn't have to necessarily be something that's evil or immoral or wrong. It could be something that's good that you put too much emphasis on. I'm having a lot of fun in Fellowship Hall Tuesday mornings playing pickleball with some of the folks here. That's great. But if it becomes, you know, pickleball becomes so important to you that 
you're neglecting your family or your time in God's word or something, that becomes an idol for you. It might be innocuous or even good for you by itself, but if you give it undue emphasis and you care about it more than you care about Jesus, what else could be idols in our lives in that fashion, loving more than we love Jesus? What about our spouse? I'm living away from my spouse for weeks on end. In eight days, we'll celebrate our 30th anniversary. And let me tell you, I miss my wife, Kelly, really badly. But it's a good test for me. Do I love her more than I love Jesus? What about your children? In the world today, families become, instead of Christ-centered, with the children as a blessing and a welcome addition to the family, so many families are oriented all around the children. We've got to be careful of that. Now, they can, you know, your spouse hopefully can dress and feed themselves. Your kids, maybe not. You know, if it's a baby or a toddler or whatever, I, I get that. I've raised two uh, along with Kelly. But we've got to be careful about the idols of our hearts. These things are improper, immorality, impurity, idolatry. Immorality, um, you might know that the word in the original language gives us our English word for pornography. Pornography is rampant. Of course, you got it in the internet. You don't have to wear an overcoat and go down to the corner store anymore. You, a couple of clicks of a button, and you can see it in your privacy of your own home. Um, and women are interested in porn, too. Statistics show that usually between 30 to 40% of porn users are female. Uh, 90% of boys by age 16 have been exposed to porn. A lesser amount of teenage girls, but them too. Um, Covenant Eyes is one of those ministries out there that has an internet filter that could possibly be of some use to you. Um, Sexual Detox is a book by Tim Challies. Challies is spelled C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S. Tim Challies, Sexual Detox. There's some help there. There's a website I can point you to for folks who struggle, uh, sexual strugglers, folks who struggle with sexual addiction or sexual dysfunction, harvestusa.org. You can go there, and there's some helps uh, for you there as well. Harvestusa.org. Immorality or pornography, you know, it gives us also the English word fornication. That's a word that a lot of times people outside the church use to make fun of us in the church. But God's word isn't kidding when it says there should be not even a hint of immorality among you. Illicit sex of any sort, prostitution, adultery, incest, whatever it is, promiscuity, sex outside of marriage. What you're doing is you're selling off your own purity. And it's unfitting for the Christian. Impurity goes hand in hand with that. Immorality, impurity, uh, impurity, unclean living, profligate sin. And it mentions covetousness here twice in the passage along with that. A lot of times when we hear greed or covetousness, we think about money. The context here is about greedy for indulging the lustful passions of our inner person. Greedy not for money, but lustful cravings that we allow to run away with. 
become insatiable. Remember the Ten Commandments? Do not covet your neighbor's wife. It's not about money. There's a description in 2 Peter chapter 2, and it just, one day, it just slapped me upside the head. It, it's, read 2 Peter chapter 2. It's not as good as Hebrews 9 and 10, but it's not bad. Um, 2 Peter chapter 2, it's describing false teachers and their impure motives. And in the course of describing them, the Apostle Peter, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, describes them as having eyes full of adultery. So if your eyes are full of adultery, that's characteristic of a false teacher. That's characteristic of somebody who doesn't even know the Lord Jesus Christ. And and, and the scripture says that such persons who are involved constantly in immorality, impurity, idolatry, there's no inheritance for them in the kingdom of God. They actually invite God's wrath upon themselves. This is pretty sobering stuff, I know. Um, In 1 Corinthians, I I was telling one of the elders this the other day, some pastors love to read 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verses uh, 9 and 10, I think it is, in the pulpit to rail at people. It says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's a, it's a list of not only sexual sins, both hetero, hetero and homosexual sin, but some other things mixed in there as well. It's pretty strong language. And a lot of times... folks who are inside the church use this to point the finger at the big battle world out there. But the context is believers at the church of Corinth. And the context with judgment is it begins with the household of God. It begins internally among God's people. And not only that, but most of the time when I've heard this, this list of people who don't inherit the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 read. I rarely hear verse 11 read. It says, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Justified is to be given right standing before God. It's God's declaration for us. As being right, having right standing for, with him in Christ. You are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So as we walk in love, as we walk as children of light, as we walk in wisdom, there's no place in the kingdom for these things. And so if you're sinning in one of these ways, you you need to confess that to the Lord. And you need to repent of it. You need to stop doing it. You need to stop loving your sin more than you love Jesus. And you need to turn away from it and abandon it and turn to God in humility. And you might need to let somebody in your life to walk with you in that. Right, James? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Maybe you need to share it with a confidant. Somebody in your life that you can trust and tell them of of your struggles. 
and understand the will of the Lord. Uh, understand the will of the Lord. I've got to move towards a close and I haven't even really gotten to the main point yet. We'll get there. It'll just be brief. Understand the will of the Lord, verse 17. Synthesize the data. Don't be foolish. Understand the will of the Lord. What is the will of the Lord? Christians run around looking for the will of God like it's lost. It's not lost. It's right here. 1 Thessalonians 4 said, This is the will of God, your sanctification. What's sanctification? Big fancy word for becoming more like Jesus. What does that mean? This is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You want to know the will of God? There it is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. We don't have to do any guesswork. You want to know God's will? There it is. And it's here in our passage in Ephesians 5 too. Be filled with the Spirit. We'll move on to heart, to be. Be imitators of God. That was verse 1. But verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. And if you've heard that before in the church, you might know that it's, it's an imperative, it's a command, it's, it's present and ongoing. Be being filled. Keep on being filled. Ephesians 1.13 taught us, in another verse too, that we're sealed by God's Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is resident within you if you're a believer. But the filling of God's Spirit is an everyday experience. As we practice ongoing confession of sin, as we yield areas of our life over to the Lord that are displeasing to Him, as we ask Him to fill us with His Holy Spirit, what does Jesus say in the Gospels? How much more will God the Father give the Holy Spirit to whom? To those who ask Practice ongoing confession of sin. Yield in every area of your life to the Lord. Ask Him to fill you with the Spirit. It's a command, be filled with the Spirit. So if you ask Him, Lord, would you fill me, would you empower me with your Spirit today, do you think He would answer that prayer? It's in the will of God. We know that if we, if we pray according to God's will, He'll answer that prayer. This is God's will for me, for you. Be filled with God's Spirit. What were the evidences of being filled with the Spirit? It's not the craziness that you see going on in the church sometime. We don't need to handle snakes or jump pews or whatever. I, I had some college students when I was in campus ministry, and they were being taught that earlier in the book of Ephesians where it says that you might be filled with all the fullness of God, they were taught that they had to have a spiritual ecstatic ex experience that they must speak in tongues, and they literally were, were being taught to prime the pump. All right, guys, this is what you say. Tie the bow tie, tie the bow tie, tie the bow tie, and it'll just come. They were taught this. That's nonsense. The passage says don't get drunk, for that's dissipation, that's debauchery, it's a, it's a waste. Sometimes when I share my testimony of coming to Christ, I say my teen years were spent in Virginia, or my teen years were wasted in Virginia, and so was I. I was. It, it was a waste. It was a waste of time, money, and brain cells. And when somebody is drunk, when they're DWI, when they're DUI, they're driving while intoxicated, they're driving under the influence, what is the state trooper that pulls them over 
have them do? You know, why did he pull them over? Because they're swerving. Because their, their motor skills are impaired. What does he have them do? He has, you know, or she. Have them walk one foot, walk a straight line one foot after the other. They can't, they can't do it. You reach out and touch, touch your nose, that kind of thing. Because being drunk beyond the influence of alcohol, uh, by the way, just one quick comment on that. The Bible doesn't prohibit all use of alcohol. You're free not to use alcohol, but the Bible doesn't prohibit it. It prohibits drunkenness. That's all I can say about that. When we move on, when, when you're intoxicated, you're under the influence, it affects your speech. It splurs your, you slur your speech. Wait, I'm not intoxicated. Um, you, you, you slur your speech. You're, you're sometimes brutally honest or whatever. Well, if we're under the influence of God's Holy Spirit, it should affect what we do with our bodies. And it should affect our speech for good. And, and the evidence of that isn't that craziness, tie the bow tie. The evidence of it is what comes in the passage. That's our underhand to do as we wrap it up. Sing, give thanks, and submit. How do you know you're filled with the Spirit? Do you have to have some ecstatic experience? Some second encounter with the Lord? No, it's a daily experience where you're not impaired, but you're empowered. And you sing, give thanks, and submit. Sing, verse 19. And notice we address both the Lord and one another. We also sing to one another. It says so in the passage. What do we sing? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We try to do that here at Kishwaukee. It's what we call a blended style of worship, and you see that reflected in the music of the church. And we give thanks, verses 4 and 20. As I said in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says that giving thanks is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And we submit, verse 21, submit to one another. Submit means to be subject to line up under the authority as as soldiers who would fall in ranks in the military would do. That that we're submissive to one another, not heavy-handed in the way that we deal with one another. Let's not be unwise but wise to God's will. Let's not be drunk, but let's be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Lo, if any man thirsts, Jesus said, the last day of the great day of the feast, let him come to me and drink. And from his innermost being will will flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke of the Spirit. And Lord, your Spirit was poured out on all mankind, men, women, and children, on the day of Pentecost. And your spirit rushes into our hearts by which we cry out to you, Abba, Father, causing us to be born again, regenerated, made alive unto you. But then we quench the spirit. We grieve your spirit. We sin daily in thought, word, and deed. We need to confess our sins to you and experience the cleansing and forgiveness that's already ours in Christ because he died on the cross once for all and he rose from the grave. Hallelujah. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Empower us. Help us not to commit idolatry, to love something more than you, but to walk in love, in light, and in wisdom in the power of your Spirit. For we pray in Jesus' name.